the dream is to be an investor where you've got cash flow or you're doing big properties. If it takes you a year or two years, who cares as long as you get there and you keep working and be persistent and eventually it'll happen as long as you don't quit. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Adam Southie. How you doing, Adam? Hey, doing so good. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm glad to hear it, and it is my pleasure. A little bit more about Adam. He's a raw land investor, invests in raw land, and consults with clients to help them do the same. Host of the podcast, Casual Fridays, REI. I love that podcast name. It just makes me want to enjoy myself and listen to the podcast. Just really relaxing versus something like best real estate investing advice ever, right? <laughs> casual Friday just welcomes me into it. Yeah, you know, uh, every day is ca a casual Friday when you're an investor. Uh, there you go. It's true. Based in Fort Worth, Texas. With that being said, Adam, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, no problem. I've been in real estate for probably 15 years now. I've done just about everything. I got started as a new home builder and became a realtor and a wholesaler, a rehabber, a landlord. I've done mobile homes, you name it, I've done it. And then the market slowed down back 08, 09. I essentially, because I was so uh, leveraged, I went broke. Just like a lot of people, I ended up having to go get a job. I ended up on the railroad. I was a conductor. And the whole time, all I was trying to do is rebuild everything I had and get back into real estate. And I was listening to a podcast. It was a side hustle podcast. Was, some guy was coming on talking about buying and selling land and how he was doing it for a couple hundred bucks an acre. And that hooked me because that's essentially all the money I had right then. So uh, <laughs> I got involved and my very first marketing blitz, I bought three two and a half acre parcels for 250 bucks a piece. And I sold them for a thousand dollars a piece. And that was it. I was hooked. Mm -hmm. I went all in at that point. And that was three and a half years ago. And we've scaled up the number of properties, the price range of properties. And like you said, we built the podcast where we just kind of talked about our journey as land investors. And through all that, other people reached out and we started helping others. So that's where we're at today. I have a partner on the podcast, Justin Sleva. We have our land businesses and we have the podcast where we like to help others out. Will you elaborate on how you went broke? Yeah, a bunch of bad decisions, really. I was a realtor, a house flipper. And so as a realtor, basically I was living dollar to dollar. If I went out and made 10000 15000 I spent it. And then I had rehab properties that I had just over leveraged and couldn't sell them for what I initially bought that I thought I could. And so... When it came time to sell, I didn't make what I needed to, and that put me on the job as a railroader. Okay. And why in the world would you want to get back into real estate after all that? <laughs> that is a good question. I don't know. I've, I've wanted to do real estate all through college. I think I came up going through college right at that time when the HGTV shows became real popular, and it made it seem really cool. And I thought, yeah, I mean, that could be me. I could be out there flipping houses. So I gave it a shot, and it went well at first until it didn't. 
And then luckily through it all, I found land and it's just been the best thing I've done since. Okay. Well, let's talk about land now. Prior to us recording this, I rarely talk to investors on the show about raw land because there's just not a whole lot of people out there. Maybe there are, but my team hasn't found them who do raw land. And you mentioned that you saw I've interviewed a couple people and you said there's a similar approach to what we do, but we all do it in slightly different ways. So can you first talk about your overall approach for how you buy it and then mention your differentiators for how you're unique? Yeah. So really at the core of it, what we're looking for is more of an opportunity than per se. Some people want to look just for back tax properties or they've got websites built where people come to them. What we do is focus on a county where there's plenty of raw land. And then instead of just picking out certain people, we will send blind offers to everyone in the entire county who owns land. And it's an actual offer. It tells them exactly how much money we'll spend for it on their land. They can sign it, mail it back. They can call us and talk to us about it. But regardless, that's what we do. So as we've done this over the years, the price range has also increased. So like I said earlier, my first properties were two and a half acre parcels for $250 an acre. They were way out in the desert. I didn't know why anyone would ever want to buy them, but they were so cheap. I bought them anyway and just trusted the process. And as we've gone over the years, we've scaled up to what we now kind of refer to as a bass boat property, which is in that price range, a bass boat or Harley or something recreational would be. So our typical deal now would be somewhere in that seven to 12,000 and sell in the 25 to $35,000 range. Okay. You live in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm from Fort Worth. I don't remember a desert being in Fort Worth. So where was the first raw land that you bought? Yeah. So that's a great thing about this industry is you can do it anywhere. You don't have to buy near your home. So I am in Fort Worth. My first properties were in Northwest Arizona and I currently own land in about seven different states and never been to any of it. Don't plan on it. You never bought land before. How'd you end up looking at properties there? Everything's online. So everything you need to buy land is online. You have to have a GIS mapping software and those are readily available. You've got like Parcel Fact and MapQuest and you got Google Earth, Google Maps. The counties sometimes have really good websites where you can get on their GIS and do research on taxes, make sure everything's current, make sure the right owners are there. And you have everything you need to make your decisions based on that without physically going to see it. Now, if we're going to spend a lot of money, 15, 20, 30,000 or above, we would send someone out there. But for the most part, we're not in that price range. So we just go when we have. Yeah, but Arizona... How'd you pick Arizona as an area to take a look at? Oh yeah, that's a good question. So one of the things that I look for when I'm doing it is I just look for other investors. And so I knew there was activity going on in Arizona just from my research and okay. uh, I just narrowed in on a property there. So at the time I didn't really know what I was doing. I just saw other investors were in that Northwest part of Arizona. So I figured if it's working for them, maybe I should give it a try too. And that's what I did. I ended up mailing out there. Since then, put a little bit more thought into it, uh, <laughs> kind of know what we're doing. But basically, every time I do a mailer now, it starts off with, for me personally, the first thing I'll do is go, man, where do I want to own some land right now? The last marketing I did was in Oregon. I don't know why I just thought, man, Oregon's going to be a cool spot to go. So get online, we go to Lands of America or Land Watch. That was the last one? The, the last one was in Oregon. Um, I thought you said you put more thought into it. <laughs> yeah. So it gets better. Is, like, is, the, is say, the thought, say, hey, where do I want to own land? So, <laughs> yeah. So once we pick the state, then the thought comes in. So we start <laughs> okay. 
we started looking for other other investors there. Is it affordable? And so for me, I like to look for that market value of being right around a thousand dollars. So you can go on these land specific websites like Lands of America, and you can put Oregon in uh, as an example, and you can see everything that's for sale in that state. And then you'll start looking for the market value where twenty acres is selling for twenty thousand. You'll find certain counties where that happens, and then you'll start doing a little bit more research. Are there other investors there? Is the pricing the same throughout the entire county? Because some of these counties will have big cities in it. And so the price per acre will be one price in one part of the county and cheaper in the other. And the way that we do it is we mail the whole county. So we want to make sure the pricing is similar throughout. And we want to make sure there's good attributes. Like, is it a good county? Are there mountains there? Are there lakes there? Is there hunting there? Are there things that would draw a buyer there? And then you can really tell a lot of that from these land websites. And then that's kind of where once we see all that stuff in one area, then that's where we'll mail to. Well, I've never done this, so I don't claim to know much at all about buying raw land. One thing I've heard from conversations with other raw land investors is your best buyer is the neighbor of the property because they'll want to buy the land right next to where they currently live. But when you said one of the first questions you ask is, are other investors there? Why is that relevant if other investors aren't the number one buyer, assuming that is a true statement? Yeah, for me, it's relevant that other investors are there because you want to know if the county works. Is there people actively buying and selling land there? And so what a new investor does is they get this idea in their head that they're going to go find the golden nugget. They're going to go to a county where no one's working and they're going to be the only investor there that makes all the money. Well, the problem with that is there's a reason why it's not working. And while you might find some good deals, you can go to counties where you know it's being worked and you can up your chances of success. For example, Costilla County, Colorado is probably one of the most worked counties in America. It seems like every new investor goes to Costilla County, but they're all buying land. And that's because there's so much of it. I heard there's 26,000 five-acre properties in Costilla County, Colorado. So that's more than enough to go around for anyone if they just put in the time to market out there. Okay. What's been an interesting deal that you can tell us a story about? Yeah, so I've got a good one and I've got a bad one I can kind of touch on. So Let's talk about the bad one first. Sure. I got this killer deal in southeast Oklahoma. It was 20 acres. It was a beautiful property. I got it under contract for $16,500, and it was going to easily sell for sixty. I probably could have put it up on the market for 100000 and sat on it for two or three months and gotten it. But I was buying it from an only child whose parents had passed away. She was an older lady. She'd been paying the taxes for 10, 15 years. Only child, but there was no will, so the property wasn't in her name. And she said, if I could help her get it into her name, she'd sell it to me for what I offered her. So we go through this whole process of getting a quiet title done, hiring attorneys, going in front of the judge. It takes about six months. She goes in front of the judge, tells him she's the only child. She does all this. And at the end of it, the order goes through. It gets transferred in her name. She goes to the attorney's office. I transfer the money. They close the deal. And two days later, a guy walks into the attorney's office and says, you sold my 20 acres to some guy for my sister who had no right to sell it. So the attorney initially calls me back. He's freaking out. And I'm like, she swears she's an only child. So that we call her, she takes a friend of hers to the attorney. The friend swears up and down. She's an only child. So we kind of 
think that this guy is just full of it, basically. But he wasn't. So that's the, that's the big <laughs> kicker. So, so uh, not only was she not an only child, but there was 14 brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, man. And because it was a quiet title action in Oklahoma, like they had a certain time frame that they could <laughs> fight this and just have it overturned. And obviously she said, whether she did or not, she had spent the money I gave her. So now I'm basically out of my money and out of a property. But luckily enough, 14 brothers and sisters, they came back and uh, let me back to crook. One of the best things my attorney did when he heard this, when he found out there was more is brothers and sisters is he went to all of them and told the story and got them to deed over their ownership, their portion of it to me. So I became the controlling interest. Why would they do that? Most of them lived out of state. They didn't care for their sister, which can't really figure out why. No kidding. And even though they didn't really talk to her, they didn't want her to get in trouble because she had just committed fraud. Wow. That's the kicker. Yeah. Right. Okay. So they came back and they bought it back from me for 18,000. So I bought it for 16 and a half got 18,000 out of it. Not what I would consider a great success. It was definitely a huge learning opportunity, but I definitely don't want to do that again. Well, besides not doing deals with that one woman, what are some lessons that you've taken from that and applied to your business? Trust, but verify. The way that we knew that guy was true is that he, this is what I thought I had hired the attorney for because I was brand new. This I didn't really know, but we just started doing Google searches and going deeper. And we found out that yeah, that was true. We found a um, obituary from way back when that told the whole story of whatnot. I also, instead of closing through the attorney, I would have gone through a title company and gotten title insurance. But because I had hired the attorney to do the whole thing, I thought it was above board. I thought it was legit. And so now any property that we buy over a certain price range is always through title. What's that price range? 5000 or higher. Okay. That was a good one to learn on. Yeah, that's a fun one. What about the other one that you mentioned? That was a good one. That was in Northeast Nevada. And so, like I said, we mail to an entire county when we do our mailing. And I sent out a bunch of offers. I had previously had some people looking for land around 80 acres in size, but I didn't have anything available. And I mailed to this entire county. And without knowing, two people both accepted my offer and each person had a 40 acre and they were right next to each other. So oh my, it was just pure luck that the two 40 acres right next to each other with access 100 feet off the highway now I've got an 80 acre where probably 45 acres or so is flat and the rest of it is just mountain. So the person that bought it was a hunter. They can sit back on the side of this mountain and they look into the flat part or they can somehow hide in the flat part, do whatever they need to do. But I bought each 40 for $4,500 and I turned around, and I sold it for 36. 36,000. Yes. All right. So you're in it for 9,000 plus costs and sold it for 36,000. Which 80 acres for 36,000. <laughs> that's still a great deal. I think right? it's still a great deal, but I know that's an ignorant statement because it's all based on location, 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 but it's still sticker shock to me talking about these price points with this amount of acreage. I get it too, especially when you're trying to see at the lower end range. We have people that we work with that go buy land for $100 every day. We have one client who's done 400 deals where he bought them for 100 bucks and flipped them for 500. Where's the 80 acres, by the way? That was in Northeast Nevada, Elko County. Okay. And what would disqualify an area? So, hey, I want to buy in Oregon. Okay. Now I look at the areas. What would disqualify them? Like I said, there's no activity going on. Right. Um, but also, 
there's nothing attractive there. So a lot of the properties we look for have mountains or they're good hunting area. There's lakes nearby. It's affordable. People want to get out there. Maybe there's a tiny home community in the area, or it's a place where people like to get outside and go hike. There's a big area in Colorado, Alamosa, Costilla counties, where there's big 14,000 foot mountains where it's real popular to get out and hike during the day and then go back to your tiny home at night. So you can buy five acre parcels for cheap and sell them for five, $6,000. And you got people lining up to buy them because hey, it's super affordable for them, but then they can live that kind of free lifestyle. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I love talking about this stuff because I'm learning a whole new world and it's fun to do. Based on your experience as a real estate investor, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Don't give up. Not just investing, but like any industry can be difficult. Times get tough or it gets hard. And a lot of people want to make their first million dollars or flip their big deal in the first two or three months. And when it doesn't happen, they give up. But the dream is to be an investor where you've got cash flow, where you're doing big properties. If it takes you a year or two years, who cares as long as you get there and you keep working and be persistent and, and eventually it'll happen as long as you don't quit. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, let's do it. All right. First quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. Best ever resource you use right now to do what you do? Yeah, it's a MapQuest. It's um, online GIS. You can go on and Put in a property APN in the county and you can see everything you need to see about the piece of land. It'll draw a line around it. You can make maps to send out for marketing. It'll essentially tell you everything you need to know. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we haven't talked about already? Hmm. I think it's probably not fully checking everything when you're new. There's so many due diligence points that you can forget. Like you may check ownership, but you'll forget to check back taxes or you'll forget to send in a certain document when you register it. That's a pretty common one. Because every state, you don't just need to send the deed in. Some of them have excess paperwork, like an affidavit of property value or something. It's easy to forget those as you learn and grow. Those aren't huge deals. After you learn and grow, you get it down. What's the best ever way you like to give back to the community? I'm real involved with my CrossFit gym. And just like every CrossFitter, we always think of a way to get together. So several times throughout the year, we do big things for charity, like a Wad for Water, where we raise money for Never Thirst. It's a company where they go out and they build clean drinking water for people that don't have it. And we've done barbells for boobs that supports breast cancer. Anything we can do to get together and help out. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? Casual Fridays, REI. It's our podcast, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Me and my partner, Justin Sleva, we talk about our journey talk about things that come up in our business and try and help everyone out. Adam, thanks so much for being on the show, talking about raw land, your approach to finding areas, your approach to buying, and then the two entertaining stories. Trust but verify for sure, Google searches. But really, even with a Google search, that's a little flimsy still, right? But the title insurance, that's where it's pretty rock solid. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day. Talk to you again soon. All right, thanks so much.